This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is <laughs> my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Morning. It feels like morning. I guess my I'm just all over the show, man. I'm so freaking tired. You can okay. see my eyes. Look, I've got freaking bags under my eyes. I kind of look like it's morning too, but I've been outside. I live, I live in a really rocky, uh, and I, I live at over 7,000 feet. It's the mountains. Um, and I want to grow a garden. So I'm going to try to get into composting to have something that things will grow in. Um, so I took my first crack ever at a homemade compost pit today. Mm. Have you got a compost bucket? Like a, no, a bowl I, next to no. the, the kitchen sink? Oh, yeah, 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 a little. We, yeah, no, my wife doesn't do a bucket or a bowl. We ordered this fancy designer thing with a carbon filter in the lid. What? Um, but, yeah, it was like 20 bucks, but it comes with it. It's got a carbon filter in the lid so you can, and it looks pretty on the counter. Okay, I get it. And then I put some some trout that I, the, you know, the remnants of some trout that I caught to get the kind of base of the thing kind mm -hmm. of jump started a little bit, but we'll see. I couldn't tell 
That's in the house, or is this is outside? No, the no, house? no, no. That's in my pit outside. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. He would kill me if I put the trout remnants in the house. But it smelled so bad. And then you know the key is to put enough dry material in there to not have the smell. But I think I'm thinking uh, if somebody will cover your bet, take a yes on will a bear destroy my compost pit tonight? Ooh. <laughs> so. It's far enough away from the house that I know there's been bears there anyway. I'm not real worried about that part of it. But uh, Did you put a camera up? No, I will. Um, also, at 10 minutes before our scheduled time to record this, I was still out there screwing with my compost pit. Mm-hmm. I noticed little... you were, typically you're like five minutes early, one minute early for this one. Yes, I know, and I know the excuse. Thank God we're not using the uh, the video because... I'm sweaty and nasty and look like I was mm. just messing with dead fish and dirt because I was. Well, the reason I'm tired or look like I'm haggardly tired, and I know that this will be fine because my wife doesn't listen to the roundup. Um, my wife is, is, is congested beyond belief and is snoring like a horse. And oh, wow. I did not sleep last night. So I, uh, I plan to sleep in the guest room tonight and get a long sleep there tonight. You go. There you go. There's enough. You, you just have to drink enough whiskey to get past the snoring. Oh, no, no, no. You know, it, it'll wake me up eventually. So right. I'm just going to nip it in the bud and go sleep somewhere else. There you go. There we I go. At about one o'clock in the morning. That's what happened. You're exactly right. At about, it was actually like 2.02. After tossing and turning for 45 minutes, I just decided, ah, yeah. get out of bed, go to the other room. Get yourself two and a half hours of sleep, get up, work out, go to work. That's what I did. Yeah. See, How's we, that working out treating you? Not that great. I don't like it. The mountains are, you know, are going to call your name. Yeah. I just I'm I'm not a big fan of doing things like I'm not there's zero judgment, right? Like I'm just I'm sitting here admitting to you that people that work out regularly are better people than me. I'm not judging. But I can't get myself, I can't get my head wrapped around this whole concept of, hey, there's a whole bunch of weight over there. It doesn't need moved. And in fact, we're going to put it right back where it is, but let's go move it around for a while. That 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 logic doesn't... Uh, doesn't make you feel better? Doesn't no, make you like jumpstart a day? I don't want to do it. No. <laughs> no, not at all. None of that. I like, love the honesty. I would like to be like, uh, you know, I'm... A, pretty chunky i'd like to be a little trimmer but not enough i need to just go hike i need to just put my pack on and go hike because i like hiking in the mountains and it's yeah, rucking essentially right yeah yeah exactly and and i intentionally put some trail cams in some really stupid hard to get to places um but i also run the risk of just talking myself out of going and checking my trail cams because they get tired <laughs> i don't i don't uh Again, I'm not judging anyone, um, and I know it's a great big thing now to be in super shape as a hunter, and uh, and uh, I probably should be, but I don't like it. I don't, I don't like. Fair going. enough. Fair enough. It's almost like a habit for me, man. It's just like I feel better about it. I get my morning kick started correctly. You know? Yeah, and each, I, I'm not denying zone, that right? too. I'm not denying that too. When I, when I, when I have. I mean, it's a, it's a system. It's a repetitiveness. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a schedule. Structure. Yeah. Structure. Habits. You know, habitualization, a habit. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, 
not that guy, I guess. I don't know. Do you think it's, uh, were you before that, before you went into the Marine Corps? Was it something that was part and parcel? Oh, looky, looky. Hey, guys. I'm sorry. I got my time zones messed up. That's all right. And we've been going for five minutes, and we actually didn't even throw you under the bus, Alex. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate well, that. I deserve it. Because now we are going to throw you under the bus. That's right. Good. I'm 15, 16 minutes late, so I deserve it. I'm sorry. I've got to get it. No. He has a freaking caribou in his background, and I've got this fake ship portal that my wife put up behind me. I've got to get this. i got to get a better background. That's it. I got a 19-foot African rock python. Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good God, from the guy I who wanna... just slide. The guy just slides in here and goes, "Oh, that's just pretty good." Yeah, cool. I want to go on a caribou hunt now. Like right now, I mean. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did you? I don't know who you follow on Instagram, but uh, Tana Grenda up in Alaska. Uh, her Instagram handle is Tanasu Fit. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow her. Just killed a monster caribou she had him at bow range at 35 yards winded her jumped up and ran it to 100 it then ran in the direction of her rifle she sprinted with it got down on the rifle and it trotted back to about 300 yards and she killed it and it is a monster wow yeah that's um that's that's interesting that that uh that that was the story that uh, the caribou behind me actually kind of a similar story um, I, I shot this one and he was with two other bulls and I was with a buddy who, you know, was also hunting and, uh, the two other bulls were pretty good ones as well. And they circled around and at first they kind of ran away from us and, uh, and they just got curious, which cur- caribou do, you know, uh, you know, we're way up, we're way up, uh, north of the Arctic circle in the tundra and, you know, the caribou are migrating through, they don't really encounter people very often. and you know, they, you know, they're not dumb, but they are just curious critters and they see something out there and, you know, they get a little bit closer and, uh, and these two bulls got within, you know, about 90 yards of us and my buddy Brooks Hansen, uh, shot the other one. So we, we actually doubled, um, very similar situation. They knew that they knew that we were there, but you know, just couldn't figure curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity killed the caribou. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Never been caribou hunting. Definitely on the list to do it one day. Um Yeah, it's uh it's quite a hunt. It's quite an experience. So let's introduce the late comer. Um Alex Robinson. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Let everyone know who you are. You, yeah. you can start yeah. by saying you're not punctual at all. Uh yeah. That's right. That's right. Most uh, most of the folks who write for me would uh, would probably agree with that. Uh, my name's Alex Robinson. I'm the editor in chief of Outdoor Life. Um, been working there for almost twelve years now. Wow! And I've been the, I've been the editor for uh, for the last two years. So, yeah. Increased in pressure, like workload wise, all the hate mail comes to you now because you're the editor in chief. Just love letters. Love yeah. letters. No, no, there is, I mean, there's certainly, um, there's certainly, there's certainly an increase in pressure. Um, but you know, there's also an increase in, um, in the fun stuff too, you know, like 
have creative control of of the of the title um that's worth that's worth the pressure yeah and i don't know about you cody but um you certainly outdoor life has certainly been in the um in the digital airwaves over the last six months or so with some pretty heavy articles that have gone a little viral the whole matt ranella um oh yeah situation back and forth and i will say uh thank you for not cutting tyler friel's last article where he did quote blood origins in the article so yeah thank you yeah that's yeah that's um that's right you know we're not trying to we're not trying to publish viral stuff you know that's not how we go about it but when there are topics that people are talking about um you know, we want to we want to be in that conversation as well. You know, most of our writers are very experienced people. Most of our editors are very experienced in this, um, in hunting and fishing, but also in the industry. And um, you know, we want to have a voice, and we're not scared to wade into those conversations. So, yeah, you know, some and sometimes they go viral. Sometimes for good reasons, and sometimes for bad reasons. But um, but you know, that's the way that the internet works. You got to be there. You got to be willing to wade into that. Um, to be part of it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I do. It's certainly, yeah, I do too. And I like, I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, as I get a little bit of gray in my beard, I, I like, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this to it, it's a hundred percent complimentary, but I have this fear. I, I like old things that are still relevant. Um, and Outdoor Life is an old magazine, and I don't mean that. I don't mean anything about the current content. Or uh, does that make sense? It's been around a long time. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There's no, um, no, no hiding that. 18, 1898. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. McGuire, old, old, yeah. old, old title. No, it's uh, yeah. And I and but it's persevered, and I, I think it's persevered because of like a a level of. And, you know, I'm going to make fun of you more for being late in those things. This is not an ask kiss session, but I, I, I like that your articles don't come across as trying to go viral. Like that's one of my major pet peeves and it doesn't matter the content. I can completely agree with someone's article, but if the title is trying to look apocalyptic just to make people click on it and then not actually relevant, um, it drives me bananas, absolutely bananas. I think Outdoor Life's always put out pretty, pretty quality content, and uh, you know, I guess for the last two years, you're at least at twelve yeah. years, some part of it, and the last two years, an integral part of it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. You know, one of the one of the benefits that we have is that legacy. You know, like. There were there were a lot of really great editors and writers who've come before me and the people on my staff, and we fully recognize that that you know that legacy is on our shoulders now. You know, there's people who have read Outdoor Life for longer than I've been alive, and I you know that that fact is not lost on me or anyone else on our staff. So you know, um, it's different. The magazine is much the. I mean, first you know call it a magazine we're we're a fully digital publication yeah you can't get outdoor life in print anymore can you no sir that's correct it's it's all digital you know so we do we still do quarterly editions which are digital only you know so they're basically ipad editions that you can read 
through our Zinio app or through on Apple News Plus. And I think they're pretty damn good. Um, you know, if you still want to have like long narrative uh, hunting stories and, you know, high quality photos and, you know, real like real writing, um, both Outdoor Life and Field and Stream are definitely still a source for that through our digital editions. But we do not do a print a print magazine. And, um, you know, so that's a massive change. That's a huge change. Cool. You know, we've talked about like, do we even call ourselves a magazine anymore? And mm. if, if we don't call it a magazine, then what is it exactly? Mm. You know, um, we're much more than a website. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, a lot of changes. But I, um, you know, Cody, what you're saying, I, I, I try to make sure that that remains true, that, you know, the things that people love about outdoor life still exists and are still strong in, you know, in our website content in our digital edition content, even our, our, some of our social content, that sort of stuff, like still outdoor life. It's just, um, you know, it's made, it's made for the internet. It's, it's, um, it's a different platform. Yeah, it's the sign of the times, right? You guys had to change. Yeah. Field industry had to change. Sign of the times. Um, That's right. Let me ask this just logistically. I'm I'm curious. How does how does the editor in chief now? Because you're not now, you know, laying out magazine layouts, you know, months ahead of time. Okay, this is this month. This is this month kind of deal. Is it now more of a day to day type activity? Being able to because you and you'd have to be able to pivot quite and be as nimble as you possibly can be for an outdoor life to issues that are hitting almost in a 24 hour time span that you're like, Oh shit, we need to get on this tomorrow or we should have been on this yesterday. Yeah. It's changed, changed everything. You know, um, like we would in the good old print magazine days, you know, we'd go on a hunt. And write about it the next year, right? Because you go on a hunt in October, you know, go on a deer hunt in October. It's relevant again next October. That's right. Right. That's like, right. That's, seemingly it's correct the next year. Um, so you have a year to think about things and take your time with stuff and you know, look at photos and look at layouts and it's very slow, painstaking process. Um, and that's changed you know, 100% now, now you go on a hunt and you have to have immediate content, you know, on social media. And then you get back and you want to have that story up the day that you get back. Um, and there's multiple stories from a trip Mm -hmm. covering the hunt itself, but also the gear and the tactics. And it's just a much, it's just a much more demanding, Mm -hmm. um, it's a much more demanding job and the amount of content that we need to create. Mm -hmm. Now, looking back at those old magazine days, there was a level of writing and editing that you don't see on websites today. Like, and that was simply because the amount of time that everyone put into it. Like, there were editors on staff, you know, back before my time who had a single column to edit. Um, you know, so there's an issue a month, and their job was one column. So you've got one story a month. But it's got to be perfect. Correct. You know, yeah. if that's your job, you've got one story and you better make it perfect. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing like nobody's now we're doing one story a day. Everybody's got one story a day. Yeah. You know, 
So it's, I mean, it's how do you really, lay out the, the, the sort of the, the cadence of things, right? Like Tyler Friel, for instance, because we're just yeah. most familiar with Tyler and what he's been writing about lately. Um, yeah. The federal lands issue. Then he dealt with sort of a social media issue. Is it almost like Tyler says, hey, Alex, or whoever his boss is, I don't know if there is a boss in between. Hey, I've got this idea. You're like, man, that sounds great. I need it next four, next Friday. That's going to be your yeah. slot kind of deal. Is that how it works? Mostly that, yeah. And then and then we'll come up with ideas as a staff and we'll distribute them out to writers who we think are a good fit. Yeah, you know, so it works both ways. So I'll go to Tyler and be like, hey, you know, it's it's early season, um, big game hunting. Can you get us something on, you know, meat prep and, and uh, you know, field care, care for big game animals? Um, and we need it next week. Gotcha. And, you know, he'll – most of the time he'll take that story. Sometimes he'll be like, ah, I can't do it, you know, too busy or whatever. And then we'll find, find someone else. But it's a combination of, of the writers pitching me stuff and, you know, me slotting them in and us going out to writers and assigning them stories. But, you know, the news, the news part of it is, is different. You know, we do a lot of kind of aggregated news stories that, we'll see it like a small kind of local level and then try to bring national or at least regional appeal to them. Right. You know, there's a lot of good newspapers out there still doing, doing stories about wildlife and hunting that ought to be, that should reach a larger audience. And we'll pick up a lot of those stories. And, um, and oftentimes those will get, you know, really well read. That, that could be anything from like, a new kid, like a young kid shooting a giant deer, you know, to, um, you know, to a new, um, so, so like or organ, uh, approving, um, uh, predation kills on wolves, you know, like both of those types of stories, mm-hmm. there's a huge continuum between there. Mm-hmm. Both of those types of stories are intriguing to a national audience, but they start on a very yeah, sure. local level. I think know? blood origins really has, I think that's one of our, I think it's one of our fortes. We find these like crazy stories like happening any, anywhere in the world, right? This little niche in Australia or this thing that happened in the UK or this thing that's happening on the border of Poland and Yugoslavia and saying, hey, world, do you realize that this is actually happening here? And people are like, holy smokes, had no idea. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I think that's really interesting. You know, we don't do as much international stuff, um, but man, when you open it up to that um, that scale, like the number of stories out there is is it gets almost um, overwhelming. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's so many interesting things going on. What's the um, What's the dynamic? This is what we do on the roundup is we had this great itinerary laid out. And now I'm just totally interested in the inner workings of outdoor life. Mate. Well, look, Alex did screw it up because we were about to get into the, the you right, know, the 16 right. we minute gonna... in. We were going to get to the articles yeah. and all of a sudden he popped up and we're like, well, look, we, we need to yeah. just stroke his ego a little bit. Let's talk about outdoor life. You know, we gave you a wink. You... We gave you a wink kind of deal, you know. I can tell you guys are really concerned about uh, the schedule and itinerary. <laughs> yeah, we always are. We always are. You guys stick really tight to it, I can tell, yeah. What's the what's – the, here's what's always interesting to me with a website who is – like what's the balance between 
entertainment education news source, right? Like, yeah. there's no way you don't have the staff. You couldn't triple your staff and be a all encompassing news source for what's happening in the hunting world, right? I mean, there's so many, even even just domestically. And at the same time, you couldn't, same thing with if you were trying to run an educational, you know, you talked about a, a meat prep article um, or, yeah. or, a, or, a, or a here's my gear list article, those type of things. That's right. I mean, it's interesting to me, there has to be something that outdoor life is doing correctly and just to be 123 years old. How do you balance that? Like, how do you go? How do you, is, is there discussions about like that? Like we, we've got to cover some of these news stories, guys. Like I imagine that the, it's probably not at a boardroom table. It's probably on a zoom call, right? When you're, when you're having these discussions, how, how does, how does that play into your mind and your decision-making on what the subject of an article is going to be? The website probably made that somewhat easier because you can spread out and diversify, but is, is that a, is that a, Am I making up a dilemma? No, no, not at all. You're right on. Um, yeah, it comes down to it comes down to budget. You know, we have a, a fixed budget and what we can pay for freelance content. You know, through through the year, like I'll have a budget, and that's that's the amount of content I get to spend, or that's the amount of money I get to spend on content from freelancers. And then we have a fixed. Um, you know, while we're growing in staff, you know, we are adding folks, we're hiring folks. I have a limited size of staff, right? So there's only so many things that we can cover um, as as in-house as a staff. So that limits, you know, those are the two factors that limit the amount of stories we can cover. So there from there, we get to what you're talking about, which is, all right, so what's the content mix? Like how much news, how much how-to, how much gear coverage? How much like entertainment, like essay, opinion type stuff? Um, how much like narrative hunting stories? Those are kind of, that's kind of like our, what I just listed off there. That's kind of like our main, right? Our main type of content. And basically what we do is like, we look at the stuff that performs well, you know, like what does our audience want to read? What gets traffic? Um, and then, so we, you know, identify that stuff and the news the news content typically does really well um the gear content surprise surprise people like to read about guns um so that 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 stuff usually does pretty well too um so you know we know if we do a certain amount of that type of content um you know we're going to generate a certain amount of engagement and traffic and that is a big part of our you know that's a big part of our decision making as as a digital company like websites exist to grow audience right like that's the job um but beyond that we have you know and all the editors at outdoor life and field and stream feel this way you know we have a responsibility to the the hunting community um that exists and it, that we're trying to grow to cover stories that we feel are important whether that's going to get us a lot of traffic or not um so you know some of the some of that stuff has to do with how to you know there's there's we'll look at certain information out there that we think you know isn't either 
well conveyed um, or information that doesn't exist or maybe doesn't exist on a popular platform and say, you know, we need to do that story that, so that people know mm-hmm. how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, a little a little while back, um, you know, Christine Fisher, a contributor of ours, who's a, um, a professional kayak bass angler, um, you know, she did a story about how to re- properly release big largemouth bass in the heat of summer. You know, it's like been a really hot summer. Um, as t- water temperatures go up, those fish, you know, have more likelihood of dying when you put them back. So that's like a piece like, Hey, we need to do that as like, uh, you know, a public service. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we kind of balance out the rest of the content. Like, you know, what, what's going to get us, what's going to grow our audience combined with what do we think that audience needs to know, um, to, you know, be better hunters, be more knowledgeable hunters uh, be more ethical hunters. Um, you know, just that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, awesome. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. There's, there's no, it's a lot of, um, it's much more art than science. You know, there's not a whole lot of like, um, there's not a whole lot of like algorithm or like formula planning that you can do besides knowing that like, you got this amount of budget, you know, this is amount the amount of stories that you can do with that. And that kind of like equals out to, you know, so much, so much audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing that you were uh, coming on the podcast, you are the editor in chief of Outdoor Life. Cody absolutely just like went through the internet with a fine tooth comb. Oh, great. And he came out with these beautiful articles that we sent you, beautifully written masterpieces, because we knew, you know, you'd look at them and go, oh, geez, man, this guy doesn't know how to write or this guy doesn't know how that's to not, write. That's not true at all. The first link on the thing is the longest, most boring read you've ever – oh, I'm sorry. Someone probably knows the authors. Shit, Alex probably wrote it. That's not true. But it's, a, it's terribly hard to read, but – no, I completely rely on my Google News feed that knows I'm looking for hunting stories to populate things for me to put in the thing for the roundup. Let me ask this question because I'm I'm always curious. Before we reached out to you via LinkedIn, did you know Blood Origins? Did had you heard about us? Yeah, yeah, I had. Yeah, I I had uh, heard heard about you guys. Um, you did a um, you did a uh podcast i believe with um with ramsey uh Ramsey Ramsey russell Russell. yes sir and uh i'm i'm a i know him and i'm a fan of his um so are we we also did a blood uh, origins episode on ramsey and it was phenomenal yeah Yeah, and i watched that um and then you know i knew i knew that you were doing this with tyler as well um so so yeah I'd, i'd definitely heard of you guys before and um I'd seen I'd seen some of your episodes and I'd listened to that podcast. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I I've I have some questions for you guys that maybe we can go get ahead. to later. No, go ahead. This yeah, is free form. My, Let's rock honestly, and roll. Honestly, my articles are not that great. If we never get to them, it'll be fine. Go ahead. Okay. Well maybe this will turn out more interesting or maybe it'll be less interesting. Could be. I, I, could be. Um, we could use a boost in interesting level. But I'm curious. So like um so you guys are are you guys pretty plugged into like the the hunting culture and just like hunting um, kind of 
I don't know, tradition in Europe? Like how, how familiar are you with like, like hunting in Europe and, and how that works? I am as familiar as I can be based on what I've read and the people that I've interacted with. So we have some, we have some phenomenal people that we've interacted with in the UK. Mm-hmm. We have got some phenomenal people in Spain. Spain is a different, is a, is a different, it's not the European heritage culture, hunting culture that you're thinking about. Yeah. Um, we had some guys in France. He's moved to New Zealand at this point. Denmark, we've got a strong uh, cadre in Denmark that has that European private type um, hunting heritage. But that's about it. It, it. What we do know about Europe is this, and, they, and they, the people that know are in the know will continually say this. America thinks that they are the center of the universe when it comes to hunting. Yeah. They are not. Yeah. <laughs> Europe is yeah so okay so here here's my um I'm I'm going somewhere with this and I'm curious what those folks have said like is my my perception about and I've never hunted over there I've I've not gone over there but I I know plenty of folks who have and I've you know read um you know I've read a good amount of stories about it but still I'm an outsider just looking in having a very shallow understanding of what what hunting is like there and um my perception of it which may or may not be true but what i what it seems to be to me is that hunting there is a little more limited in who has access to it 1000 percent correct it's a little bit more for i don't want to say elite because that like has bad connotations but it is you know you have to have uh you know a certain skill level and a certain amount of, um, you know, just financial resources to be a hunter in Europe. Is that, is that pretty well true or is not so much the case? Yeah, it's true. You, you are, um, it is an opposite system than America. It's a very much private based monarchy based. If you went back, you know, hundreds of years, um, the barons owned the forests, right? right? They were the ones and they hired forest keepers, gamekeepers to look after the forest and look after the game. Um, the UK is a, is a very classic example. The UK, there is very, very, very little, if none at all, public ground to hunt. And so you have to figure out, and, and the people figure it out in two different ways. Number one is you have friends or you are a part of a family that owns land that you can hunt. Gotcha. Not dissimilar to a Texas type scenario. Okay. Or you do another system, which happens very often here in the States too, which is, hey, I'm going to, and in England, you have to do your your deer stalker license. You have to do your, your exams, you have to get all these licenses, your proficiency licenses and whatnots to be able to hunt a deer species or certain deer species. But these guys do it because then they can offer their services to these private estates or private lands that are having issues with deer. They don't want the deer there anymore because it's, it's an agricultural crop that's being decimated. So it's a depredation system now, and that's how they hunt. Their hunting is now through depredation. Their hunting is through culling. Their hunting is through, you know, pigeon shooting uh, over over barley and over wheat. Gotcha. The root of it, the the root of it is acreage, right? I mean, that and, and this is my opinion. I said that like 
I was reading it straight off the fact books, but the, the root of it is acreage. I mean, per, per person, there's just a lot less land, right? I mean, there's, there's farm operators here who own 10 times the land that anyone in Europe does. Um, and so that I think that's the root of it. And when you have limited acreage, the people with means are going to be the ones that are able to access it with recreationally first. Luckily, in the United States, that's still true, right? I mean, the very best acreage to go kill a giant elk, for the most part, is pretty expensive. Like the best elk hunting in the country is pretty expensive, right? Or any, any insert any animal. Um, we just have the joy here that we have more acreage and, and we also have the joy that some people, you know, 120 to 140 years ago set aside some land for, for, for equal access. Um, but you know, we have national parks that are a quarter of the size of the UK. It's, it's, it's a, the root of it is an acreage thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, so everything that you guys said kind of confirmed my perception of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I'm wondering about, and we had, we had a discussion about this as a staff actually turned into a little bit of an argument, you know, just between editors about what's going on with hunting culture and, and hunting, uh, the future of hunting in America. And, you know, some folks believe that the way that hunting is evolving and just kind of the way that, you know, America is developing and, you know, the resource battle just gets, you know, tougher all the time, that hunting is kind of changing or slipping more toward that European model here in America, um, just because of, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about, Cody, of like, yeah, the best hunting is, is hard, hard to access. But I think there are people who would make an argument now and you could, you could make really good car, uh, counter arguments about it, that all hunting is getting, um, is getting harder to access. You know, there, there are people who would argue that hunting on public lands is overcrowded. Um, that, you know, kind of, it's becoming a thing that kind of only the rich can do. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but, you know, you guys having to talk, having spoken to so many different people around the world about hunting, um, you know, and having insights into, how different countries do it and how different hunting cultures exist around the world. I'm curious what you guys think about that. Um, and if, and if you think that like, yeah, the future of hunting, if we keep going the way we're going is going to turn into a European system where it's very limited, um, you know, a, a limited amount of very skilled, you know, um, skilled individuals with resources can do it and they're going to have great hunting and that's going to be a small, you know, limited culture or whether we're going to be able to keep this kind of like every man, every man, you know, every, every man and, you know, every woman approach where like, Hey, if, you know, if you can legally buy a license, there's going to be public land for you to hunt, you know, kind of that frontier spirit, you know, that pioneer spirit of like, you can go out in the mountains and there's resources and game there. Um, I'm curious about what you guys think and what you've seen. Go ahead, Cody. 
first of all, leave it to Alex to be 16 minutes late and then roll this question out on the board. That's incredible. Um, I think it's like, uh, I think, first of all, just so you know about me, if I was in the room or the Zoom conference that you guys were having this discussion that kind of turned into a, a debate or an argument, um, 100%, I would be able to, with, uh, with all integrity, just flip a coin to go to which side of that argument I would, I would, you know, which group I would join, which gang I would join in that, in that street battle there. It, I think it's very, very multifaceted. I think every time we put up a house in the United States on a piece of ground that there wasn't a house before, we incrementally decreased the available of wild space, right? That's a fact. I think that there's multiple things happen. There's definitely more people in the woods. At the very same time, um, you can come out here to Colorado and, and, and we can go to any, and, and not just, I'm not bragging about Colorado. There's a lot of places in the country that we can still go. And if we're able to take 25 more, 100 more steps than the normal person, there's no one there. Like there's literally no one there. I mean, some of the just incredible trout streams, incredible elk property. And it's not, again, I'm not bragging on Colorado. The same thing's true of Wyoming. I just spent a week getting my ever loving ass kicked archery hunting antelope in Nebraska. And it it would almost spook us when we saw a truck drive by a road, right? There was no, there's no one there. Um, So I, I don't think it's some catastrophic thing. I don't think hunting culture is leading us towards adopting a uh, aristocratic model. I think it's possible that long term, you know, I, I read this. There, there's something like six and a half million unoccupied houses in the United States. Hmm. Like we just have, we just have too many houses. I mean, if you had a piece of property that had six and a half million houses on it, and you rewilded it. You know what I mean? Like, those are the kind of things that bother me more. There's things that bother me in hunting culture. Um, but that's just people, right? We can pick any culture and pick right. those things. Apart. I, I think it's, I think uh, that, uh, you know, that I, I've said this before and it sounds really oversimplified and stupid. I think home building is the, is the thing that's going to lead us to that because I truly believe it's an acreage problem, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, if there's enough acres and we continue the North American game management model, um, pretty much anywhere in this country, that's elk country, there's some elk. Now it may not be unit X, Y, Z oh, in Arizona, but there's some elk there and you can go hunt. It, the point being, I think it's home building. I think it's an acreage model. I think that we're going to create the same problem by, you know, how can we have 6 million empty houses, right? Like, it, and that, that's what's going to lead to it as opposed to the culture of it. I do think that that leading to it. And then you look at things like, you know, in the last two years, there's been, what, 1.2 million acres opened back up to hunting that weren't. And is that good scientifically or biologically? I'm not getting onto that, but that counters some of it, right? Um, that 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 counters the overdevelopment of lands and the and the kind of urban sprawl thing. Um, again, I could take either side of this argument. I think there's things that are bad and detrimental that are happening in hunting. Um, 
I also think there's things that are good. Um, I like seeing people get involved at the same time, not when they do bad things. Like it said, I'm, it's not something that I have this clear, concise uh, argument on or about, but I do think it's a good discussion to be having. Yeah. My, I mean, my, my knee jerk or, or maybe like not knee jerk, but like my gut reaction was like, that's bullshit. That's not hunting in America. Like hunting in America is always going to be public and it's always going to be available for, for everyone who, you know, who is a, you know, legal and has the, has the desire and like will to do it. And that's just like, that's what our American hunting culture is going to be. And that's just what it is. Um, and I got some pretty good and pretty thoughtful pushback about that um, from folks who I really respect. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's got me thinking, you know, because you're right, it is such a multifaceted thing. Like it got me thinking much more about it. Um, you know, you look at some of the, you know, you look at some of the things and like deer, deer hunting is an easy one to pick on. And, and it's, it, it's, a, there's a lot more versions of this than deer hunting, but like, if you want to, if you want to have really good deer hunting, um, and kill, you know, and kill mature deer year after year, at least around here, I, you know, I live in the Midwest, I live in Minnesota, you either have to be a really, really good hunter on public land. And I mean, good you got to put a lot of time in it. You have to be very experienced. Um, or you've got to have a large chunk of private ground. You still have to be a good hunter. You still have to put the work in, but mm -hmm. you know, you can have a big chunk of private ground here in the Midwest and have great deer hunting. Yep. Both of those two things, you know, kind of skew toward that, you know, more kind of elite um, European version or whatever. Now there's lots of regular deer hunting you can be had here on public land or your buddy's farm or whatever. But I wonder if more and more that type of just like everyman deer hunting is taken a little bit advantage of by like maybe state agencies, you know, like they're just kind of relying on hunters to be like, I see this some, and, and, you know, everyone likes to complain about their state DNR agency. So I don't want to just do that, but I think you could make a good case that in a lot of places, you know, the state agencies kind of just rely on hunters to be, you know, herd management, you know, kill, kill these deer. We don't, you know, there's too many deer, just, you know, kill them over here. Um, there's, you know, there's too many local geese, you know, kill them over here and not, maybe not necessarily trying to look at growing like quality hunting opportunities for um you know for the every for the everyman hunter and like if you do enough of that then there's going to be come such a dichotomy of what really good hunting you know there's going to be too far of a too far of a gap between really good hunting and what everybody else has access to and if you have that then I, then i think you will see real problems with people with people dropping out and just not wanting to do it um except for the very, you know, kind of the very top, the very elite, um, you know, the w very well-funded hunter who can have good hunting. Um, so like, I think you're right, Cody. Like I, I think that ultimately as long as we have enough land, enough acreage for 
the people who really want to get to, they can get out and go hunting. Um, but man, it just, you know, it just got me thinking, um, that maybe I wasn't, maybe that initial gut reaction I had wasn't quite as firm as what I originally believed it mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have a different perspective in that. Naturally, I wasn't born in this country. I wasn't raised in this country. I wasn't raised with the things that you are used to. Used to the public ground, used to the hunting, used to the ability to hunt, used to the fact that you had opportunities to kill big things. And to me, it's almost like I have this idea that the fact that I can walk down a piece of public ground with a loaded rifle and have an opportunity to shoot something, it's pretty darn good. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world, very few places in the world. And so is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a circumstance of lost perspective that people now are not seeing that as the gold standard anymore, like I see it as the gold standard, but rather they're like, no, no, we have to be able to shoot 160 class deer yeah. on public ground. Yeah. That's the gold standard. And that's where you're, you're maybe conflating the idea that the European model of private ground is the only place that you can actually have good hunting. Well, you just, you just put a categorization of what good hunting is. Yeah. Yeah. Because your perspective is based on obviously what you've grown up with, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that your perspective is wrong. I'm just saying that the perspective that is different when you look at it through a different lens. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right on the money. I think that's right on the money, Robbie. I think a lot of people, um, I mean, Tyler Friel actually wrote about this for us a little while back of just, you know, you look around on Instagram and whatever social media you follow and you see people killing. Yeah, there's an expectation. Yeah. That expectation, that bar is so high because of social media because of articles of people saying i you know i killed this thing on public ground i killed that thing on public ground it's right. like or private ground whatever it is that's right yeah and now and now your expectation of what good hunting is is that is what you're seeing you know what it seems like everyone else is doing when really most hunters aren't doing that most hunters are having much more of the experience that you're talking about just going out you know Hopefully, hopefully getting one, you know, kind of whatever mm-hmm. it is, like that's fine. Mm-hmm. Just, just trying to get one. Um, I think one of our best, one of the things that is stuck in my brain, because I'm a scientist, that's by training, by career, that's who I am. I'm a scientist, so I love data. One You're of the best pieces of wow, the scientist. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best pieces of data came out of the National Deer Alliance, formerly QDMA, now the NDA. Um, and it looked at how many animals are taken to number of licenses sold. Mm-hmm. And the statistics are amazing. Less than 50% of all license holders kill one deer. Mm-hmm. Now, we were, we were accused by some very snarky hunters and non-hunters that that's just showing that hunters suck as hunting. You could take it that way, but... It, it, to me, I take it as, like you just said, the data proves that there must be something more than 
this idea of killing. It also shows that, you know, it's very rare for you to, to, if you're going out hunting, you may only have three days and you only get an opportunity or not. Um, but the data shows that there's a lot more to it than, than just killing. Um, so this idea that you're not killing big bucks on, on public ground, you know, yeah, that, that, again, it's perspective, but it's also maybe that's not what everyone's driving towards because nobody's showing the spike that they're killing, right? We've got an episode coming, Travis Turner from The Bone Collector, right? T-Bone. Yeah. We've got T-Bone's episode dropping October 1, open, opening of archery of white-tailed deer season. And his episode is titled Celebrate because he talks about why are we not just celebrating everyone? Why are we not just high-fiving everyone? The guy that shoots a spike. He had three days to hunt. Yeah. And he hunted a tree stand over a corn pile that was legal. Why are you after, why are we getting after the guy? Yeah. And why is he afraid to post that? Because he's about to get slaughtered by the hunting community. Why? Because of this expectation that has been set. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think you're really, I think you're really onto something. And I think maybe that dynamic has kind of skewed this conversation not not the one we're having but the larger conversation about hunting you know hunting in america and what it's turning into i think maybe that is kind of skewed it in a way that's not that realistic you know like maybe most maybe most people are really enjoying their hunting you know like i so i talked to my uh Wait, I did up, you say are or aren't are they are like, you know, they're happy. They're happy with what they've got. And, um, you know, we just, we just assume that, you know, the folks, cause you know, you see a lot of, you see a lot of criticism and you see a lot of complaints online. And, you know, when you work in the media, you see a lot of comments and, you know, a lot of it is negative. Um, but the folks who are just happy hunting and, you know, maybe killing a deer, maybe not, but they go every year they're probably not commenting on social media. They got nothing right. to say. They're just like, whatever, you guys complain about whatever you want. I'm just going deer hunting. And, uh, you know, maybe all of that is kind of like skewed, has kind of skewed the conversation or our perception of where things are at more than where mm-hmm. they really are. Those are mm-hmm. probably, in my mind, those are probably the same guys that when that once in a lifetime to them, right? That that 165 whitetail steps out and they drop it. I'll bet you they celebrate harder than everyone else. Like, yeah. Like it's it's a bigger, they understand how big of a deal it is, as opposed to someone who can afford to be on a, a guided hunt two, three times a year and won't even shoot that 165. Yeah. Right. I mean. So it, no, that's not right or wrong. That's not a judgment thing. I want to go back real quick and hit on something that you said when you were covering for my bad internet connection. I think that when you talked about are the game or the DNRs, whatever they are Ooh, across that, yeah. I love how every yeah. state makes up their own name for them. Are they using hunters for management or are they really trying to provide quality hunting opportunities? And I think there's a conversation there and I'm going to start it not in a, and not, not to be 
an ass, but do they have an obligation? Do they have an obligation to provide me in Colorado, you in Minnesota, and Robbie in Mississippi a quality hunting opportunity, a quality outcome to their hunt? I'll answer that because I was a professor at Mississippi State University at a land-grant institute. A scientist and a professor. This is what you stepped into, Alex. And my job, this better be as, I, as I explained to these students, I was an entry-level course for all wildlife managers, all wildlife students coming through the, the, the department. And we're a land-grant institute. So the land-grant institute is the one that's going to feed the resource managers of the states and other states around us. And it was our job as a professor to ensure that these students understood that their job in the future was to ensure that the resources were appropriately provided. And that, again, part of the Land Grant Institute through the extension service and on all the things tied to it, that is tied intimately with the Game and Fish Department of every state, was that the resources were being managed in such a way that it benefited the citizens of that state. So my answer to you, Cody, is yes. It is, it is their duty to ensure that those resources are available to the citizens of the oh, state. No, okay, now it could be very well that I didn't communicate or it could be you were thinking about all of your, your PhD and stuff and weren't listening. <laughs> are, they obligated, are they obligated to provide – is the Minnesota DNR obligated to give Alex a readily available chance to shoot a big deer? The, the Minnesota DNR is obligated by – obligation is a very strong term. They are, by ethics, by ethos, by being resource managers of the resources, they are obligated to steward the resources as best that they can so that the citizen of the state, like an Alex in Minnesota – has the ability to interact with that species how he chooses. Yeah, and that that goes so that goes back to the North American model of of wildlife conservation, right? Like um, the 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 idea that the land and w the wildlife is held in the public trust, right? Correct. And that also that they're they're a, you know a, a pillar of that model is that um, you know there is opportunity for all. Now, I think what, Cody, you're getting at is like, well, does it have to be a good opportunity, right? Opportunity. Does it have to be a good opportunity as defined by the hunter? Yeah. I, I don't believe that it does. I, I, I think if I'm going to, I'm using Alex for demonstration purposes only. If Alex is upset with the Minnesota DNR because he can't find a big buck on Minnesota public lands, but there's does and little bucks by Alex terms all over Minnesota public lands. I don't think that's a gripe with the DNR. No, it is because the DNR will put in a limit. They'll put in a brow, a brow tine length limit. They'll put in a point limit. They'll do all those kinds of things to grow a mature and mature deer herd. That's why they put those things in place. I think it feels like we're arguing, but we're actually not. I, I, I know those things happen, but that does not lead to 160s roaming around Minnesota public land on a, on a regular basis. I've never hunted Minnesota. I just made an assumption. 
don't badmouth me, Minnesotans. But it probably leads to some the, a decent opportunity at a 120-inch eight-point that absolutely meets the minimum criteria for the designation to fill a buck tag in Minnesota. I don't think the Minnesota DNR has any DNR across the country. I'm going to switch states so we don't get hate mail from Minnesota. I don't think any DNR has an obligation to help me shoot a trophy, to help me shoot a Boone and Crockett animal. And what I mean by that is, yes, they should manage the herd to the point that healthy four or five-year-old whitetails are approaching that Boone and Crockett age. Correct. But they have no obligation to keep the public land hunting down to a minimum so that that happens on a more regular basis. Correct, I mean, as well. If, if, if there's if there's 300 people hunt a public piece of ground and there's five Boone and Crockett's taken and there's 2140 pluses taken and there's 8110 to 140s taken, that's very successful on the Minnesota DNR part. And the guy that shot the spike can't be pissed at them is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. my point. No, I think, I think, I think that I, I agree with you fully, Cody. I, I, have no, I have no argument with that. You know, if I can't if I can't find a 160 in Minnesota, it's my problem, not the DNRs. But so let's take this out of Minnesota into Illinois, where that has much less available public land. Now, there's situations there where folks just might not be able to hunt. You know, you go, sure. for example, you go to a, a, a public marsh and you have to draw to get a blind. Okay, so you don't draw, you don't get to hunt that day. Well, you can come back next week, or you could find a lease, or you could do, there's lots of other things you could do. But it is the, you know, it is a, a tenant or a pillar of the North American wildlife con model of conservation that, like, there needs to be access for all. Mm -hmm. And we can argue about, like, what that access looks like. and you know, how good it needs to be. But like, I, I, my, my, um, my gripe with it is that not so much about like the, the high end quality, but just like minimum quality, like you get, you should be like my bar for, for what a state ought to be able to provide is a place to go hunting, um, to, that has at least enough room to enjoy the experience and have a reasonable chance of harvesting an animal. And many, many states and many, many states provide way more than that. But not all of them do. You know what I mean? And and I think that it's that end of the spectrum that I um that I'm that I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. That that I can that I can bite off on. I'm a Kansas um, native. Um, and obviously, I mean, I can, I'll be honest with you. I guess I was fortunate. i knocked on a lot of doors and did a lot of begging and threw some hay bales and did a lot of things to get access. Um, but the public land deer hunting in Kansas, now it has gotten better, you know, that the Weehaw program has made, like, I, I think that I wouldn't claim to know the state of the Weeha, the walk-in hunting area program right now, um, but five to six years ago, it drastically increased the access. 
um, wasn't public, you know, it's not public ground, it's private ground that, that uh, landowners are letting you on. I don't know. I think this is a thing you can spin around in circles. My whole point with the, my whole argument with the previous point is how multifaceted this is. Yeah. A whole bunch of it, a whole bunch of it is whining. Yeah. I agree. A whole bunch of it is all of a sudden there's more hunters and my spot that I knew about for 25 years that the mallards just poured into after the morons shot them over on the refuge, they poured into my spot. You know, it's, there's seven people there now. That's just whining. Yeah. That's whining. It's, it's, and I don't think the state has any obligation to make sure I have a legendary mallard spot. Nope. I, I don't think that's true. I agree. Um, and I also think I'm not saying all of the points on the side of this could be going bad are whining, but some of them are. Some of them are just whining. Walk further. You know, and again, on the other side of it, quit building houses because you're creeping in on all of our hunting. I mean, there's it, it's a whole multifaceted thing that we have to hopefully not choose sides and look at issue by issue and say to this person, you're whining, right? I mean, if you live west of the, if you drew a line from the, if you took the Colorado-Kansas border and connected it to Canada and Mexico and you live west of that until you hit the coast, you're whining. Yeah. Right? Get in better shape and walk further. I'm sorry. I know it may not be as good because there's more people in the woods, but you're in the promised land. Yeah. Right. Like you're one level down from Boone when he crossed the Cumberland Gap and was just tripping over elk. Right. I mean, it, you have more space than you could possibly want. I get that as you move east from there, it gets much harder. Um, it's why I'm a why I'm a firm believer in not bashing people that bait white tailed deer with corn, because I literally know guys that pay one hundred dollars to hunt an acre and a half. That's actually just someone's backyard. Yeah. Right. That That's where they get access to. So I, I think it's deeply multifaceted. Um, I wish you could just trim the whining right off the top yeah. because I think it just complicates it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a thing that you have to deal with that's not real and get down into the real, the real aspects of it. Um, but no, I mean, it's a great discussion. You screwed up our entire agenda with it well, today. Well, I'm going full circle with this because in the beginning, you had mentioned the, the story that we – uh, wrote countering um, Matt Ranella's piece about um, R3. Right. And, you know, for f folks who might have missed out on that, those two pieces, um, you know, Matt, Matt Ranella, brother of Stephen Ranella, meat eater, uh, wrote an opinion piece that basically said, um, you know, that states and, um, critter organization, uh, organizations, conservation organizations shouldn't put so much effort into hunter recruitment, retention um, efforts, and that essentially we already have enough hunters in the woods. Um, focus on habitat. Focus on habitat. We at Outdoor Life wrote a, um, a rebuttal to that. You know, we've been working on and promoting hunter recruitment for a long editors before me, you know, that's been, um, you know, I'm just joining, I'm just joining the ranks of, of outdoor life editors who have, you know, worked on that. And we believe it. Um, you know, we really believe that 
hunters need, we need to recruit more hunters. We need to mentor the ones who want to learn how to hunt. And we need to, you know, bring those folks in, you know, bring them into our community, teach them our ethics, learn stuff from them. Now we, so Outdoor Life and Matt Ronello came squarely against each other in that conversation. Could not, could not disagree with each other more. Sure. However, we both ultimately want the same thing. Um, right. And I know this because I've spoken with Matt, you know, after this story. And what he's worried about is this idea that we talked about before, which is that, you know, hunting is going to change. Hunting in America is going to change where only the rich have access. And he thinks that that's going to happen by too many people, too many people joining, you know, it getting too crowded, the resource getting, um, you know, kind of supply and demand idea, like so much demand for a limited resource that only the richest, most um, elite are going to have access to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe the opposite. I believe that the more hunters we have, you know, the more engaged community, the more people we invite in, the better chances we'll have at getting more land, you know, getting more access, you know, kind of fighting for fight, fighting down bad legislation, um, you know, getting uh, referendum votes voted down like that. My, my, and I think many others opinion is that the larger and more vibrant hunting community you have, the better access to hunting we'll have. And that's, you know, what, uh, What's interesting is, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Matt Ranella came on this podcast Whoa. right after his... I didn't know that. Well, I hope I didn't misquote anything. No, no, no. He, he, we, were the, we were very, very fortunate. Um, Cody, if you're, I don't know if you remember the story. If, if I misspeak, misspeak, please correct me here. But he actually emailed us because we did a talking head. Didn't we do a talking head on it? Right, yeah, we did a Sunday talking head on it, um, and kind of uh, uh, we did a we did a full, we did a talking head, and then we did a podcast with with. Oh, Al- we did a roundup. No, 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 it was a roundup. We did a roundup that talked about Matt Ranella, and Matt just happened to be googling his name the next day after the roundup dropped and found our podcast, listened to it. He emailed us and said, "Hey, would you mind me coming on the podcast?" We're like, what? (laughs) And we had him on the podcast the day that right after that, the day after. And we were the first people to like, just say, okay, Matt, what's up? Yeah. It was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome podcast. And it really gave him the, the breath because he said, look, he's a scientist. Yeah. He can't write 1500 words. He needs 5,000 words. Yeah. So did I summarize? Did I summarize his belief? Yeah, yeah, you did perfectly. Okay, good. I think honestly, it, I think it would be. I mean, you, you you should go listen to it. I think. Yeah, that, that sounds weird to say that. And I know you're in conversations with him, um, and I talked to him on a. I mean, I'm not. Sounds like I'm dropping names. I've I've emailed him like six times in my life. Okay, well, we're not. We're not his best friend. Yeah, we'll yeah. Be with him next week. Yeah, but. But uh, I came out of listening to him talk with a completely different understanding of what he wrote. And in a mm-hmm. very sincere way, not in a backtracking way. Um, he's an incredibly analytical person. 
Um, and it's, it's well, well worth the listen. And I've got one last question from my end. How does the Minnesota DNR spending money on 3R line up next to the Minnesota DNR not providing the current hunters a quality hunting opportunity? How do those two things line up with each other? Yeah. yeah they, think- they seem to drastically contradict each other. Yeah, I, I think I think on their on their face they definitely do, you know, right? Like, and and that is because you're making an assumption that both of them aren't happening. Yeah, but exactly, that's that's um, that. Well, I'm making I'm making an assumption. I mean, I'm I'm taking it back to the. Let me change it to Illinois, right? Yeah. The Illinois, whatever they're called, wildlife and yes. parks, DNR, yes. parks and trees yes. and bees. Right. They, um, you know. I, I think if you dug deep into Matt's thoughts, it's he would rather that the Illinois DNR be acquiring, protecting, and buying more habitat than he would their efforts going to putting more people on the existing habitat. And he never once says that they aren't doing the habitat stuff. He's like, focus, right. focus on this thing because we have a lot of parts of this country where there's too many people on this 80 acre piece of public ground with 30 odd sixes. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I think that was his thing. And, you know, so many people spun that into not, I, I really, I read your guys's rebuttal. It was part of our discussion. Um, and I thought it was valid. There was a lot of bullshit. There was a lot of people that just made up shit that Matt said that he didn't say sure. um, and attacked him over it as well. And he didn't, that, that wasn't the case at all. Um, the article came off very strong, but I think if you, if you're, uh, against Matt's article right now, um, quick plug for our podcast. Cause I think you'll have a different insight after 45 minutes of listening to him talk. Yeah. I, I, um, and I had a different perspective after talking to him, you know, in private. Um, I, I still feel the way that I felt about his story. But I feel differently about his larger perspective, which I don't think right. was, I don't think was explained fully and properly in the story. Um, but if he's saying that, hey, Illinois doesn't have enough hunting opportunity right now, and instead of recruiting a bunch, let's say deer hunting opportunity, Illinois doesn't have enough mm-hmm. public land deer hunting opportunity right now, and instead of recruiting a bunch of new hunters, a bunch of new deer hunters specifically. Why don't we work on improving habitat, uh, improving access for the existing deer hunters? I can't argue with that. Like sure. that's 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 valid. I think that you know, there's. I think that there's uh, places that are maxed out on on hunting and hunting pressure, and to recruit people into that is kind of unfair to them and also to the existing hunters. But like what you said, Cody, there are so many other places that there's just vast opportunity and not enough hunters. So, you know, to boil the argument and part of it is our fault, you know, outdoor life or the media's fault to boil it down to, do we have enough hunters or not enough hunters? That's not really the right conversation even. It's like, where are the places that 
can take more hunters? Who are the people who want to learn about hunting and what are the valid ways that they can get into it? And then on the flip side of that, where are the places that don't have good enough access that the people already, the existing hunters aren't having a good experience or places that we don't have enough access to add people into. And there, you know, there's a lot of both, I think. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely do not want someone to come across. I I didn't say that Matt Ranella said that about Illinois or any specific place, but I do. (laughs) We're going to get letters from Minnesota and Illinois. I know. Yeah, I know. Cody, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, we're just using you as an example. You're probably doing a great yeah, job. Right. Emails DNR. to Cody at bloodorigins.com, yeah. please. Minnesota yeah. DNR, I love you guys. Uh, I love hunting here. There's lots of opportunity. That's why I live here. So just I think that was way here. more to Matt's point yeah. than just I don't want any more hunters around me. I hate people, which was how he got portrayed, right? Yeah. I mean, and it, it, that wasn't the case. He thought it was a misuse of resources um, to try and convince people to to go out in the woods when those resources could go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex, it's uh, – go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say I think that's right, Cody. I agree. Well, we have um, have not hit a single article today. That means I don't have to find articles for next week. Uh, I guess this is the plan, Cody's plan all along. Did he send you a message just come in late, like 15 minutes late, Alex? <laughs> no, that was all my fault. Did uh, that, that was all my fault. Was there, Were there any articles that you really wanted to? <laughs> no, no, they're not. That good. <laughs> so everyone stay tuned for next week's roundup because it's sure to be a banger with the articles we have. Yeah, exactly. We may have to find some outdoor life articles. Hey, be sure to publish some good outdoor life articles this week, please, we always, so that we can we use them next week. Yeah, all right. We always do. We always do. I hope this. I hope that this is interesting stuff for you guys. I mean, this is oh, just the, you know, this is the stuff that I am thinking about. You know, our, our edit, editors are thinking about. I think there's a lot of folks thinking about this stuff. So I just wanted to ask you and talk about it because you know you're two guys who really. Um, you know, just from what I've listened to and heard, like you have interesting perspectives and very open minds about mm-hmm. stuff. So that's why. Well, we constantly say thinking is going to save hunting. And the fact that you guys are thinking at one of the top, if not the top hunting community spaces, magazines, whatever you want to call yourselves is good. Yeah. And we need you to keep thinking. Yeah. We need your editors to keep thinking. We need your editors to keep challenging the status quo. And posing questions out there that make people think. Yeah. Because that's going to save hunting. That's true. Yep. Also, keep doing long-form narrative hunting stories because those are actually my favorite. Man, I am glad to hear you say that. They're my favorite too. They're my favorite to write. They're my favorite to edit. And they're my favorite to read. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we got to find, we gotta find a, a better home. You know, that's what this digital edition is really about. Um, I don't, I don't know that we're maybe promoting it strong enough or, you know, it's not, uh, it hasn't got quite the traction yet that I think it will, but that's what the idea is there, you know, to still have a place for long form narrative writing about hunting, hunting stories and beautiful photography, um, just in a digital format. So we will definitely keep doing that. And also like, those are the trips that I get to go on, you know? So we're definitely doing that because then I, mm. you know, get to go on another caribou hunt. There we go. 
There we go. Well, Alex, it's been a pleasure. Thank you um, again for the insights and the great discussion and conversation. Uh, next time we invite you on, please be on time. I'll be 15 minutes early. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. <laughs>